You're listening to the Co-Creator Network. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt, director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt, and I'd like to begin here today by calling in the helping spirits to be with us. So I call out first to your ancestors and to mine. I call out to those people, those men and women who lived well and died well, who met the challenges of their times and brought forward the innovation and creativity and wisdom needed to live in a good way. And I call out to these ancestors to be with us and bring to us the legacy that brings all that is good and true and beautiful from our ancestral lines into our life. So I call out to these ancestors to be with us here today and to support the living in doing what we are meant to do in our time so that we can do what must be done for those who are coming. And I call out to those ancestors who were here long before there was ever a human. I call out to those non-human ancestors that are all the many manifestations of life here on earth. I call out to these energies, these most ancient ancestors, and ask them to help us as well, that we not get lost in the complexity of being a human, but that we are able to return to the simple truths and the energies that move through all living things here on earth. And may this true nature of things guide us in our deliberations here day by day. And with all this great, great circles, circles within circles of spirit help gathering around us, let us take a moment and gather ourselves from wherever our minds might be in this moment and draw that energy into our head. And take a nice breath and draw that energy from our heads down into our hearts and another breath as we draw the energy from our heart down into our belly and finally another breath as we draw the energy from our belly down to the earth and we take a moment in the reality of this day to stop everything and to touch the earth and take a moment and give enormous gratitude for the beauty of your life for all the challenges that lay ahead of you and all those challenges you have met well in life and learned from we give gratitude to the diversity all around us and the great wonder of life. We give enormous gratitude for the generosity in the earth's dreaming that allows us, the humans, to change anything as long as we are still breathing. And for all that is truly loving and compassionate in this dream, we give great gratitude with the wonder of life filling us. We let our love pour out, our gratitude pour out of our hearts as we send our energy down through all the layers of the earth, reaching through the layers of the earth down to the very center. And we connect there to the core of the earth. We connect into this energy that is all that is, all the potential that is before it is the many things that it becomes here on the faith of the earth. That energy that is before abundance. That energy that is before creativity. The energy that is before expression. We tune into this energy that refreshes and renews and replenishes that which restores. We connect into this energy that is essential in the earth and we draw this energy up, bringing up into our lives all the wisdom of manifestation, how to be here in form in a good way. And we draw this energy up into our bodies and we ask the energy of the earth to help us to understand truly how to live in a way that is grounded in our bodies and in our life. And from this groundedness that we cultivate, may we come to understand where we stand in life and what we stand for. May we begin to live our life with the things that mean a great deal to us, those things that we would live and die for. Let us bring those things to the fore in our life and focus our awareness there. 
We ask the energy of the earth to help us to understand how to how, create a sense of home, a sense of belonging, and to do so in a way that is not attached to a place or a people, but is attached in our own body to our own heart. And may we open the doors to those who are different than we are. May we feel so strong and loving and compassionate in our own sense of home and hearth and belonging that we can open the doors to the others, to those who are different than we are and that we listen and that we be charmed by their stories and we challenged by who they are to become the men and women that we are really meant to be in our lives. And in this way, we come to understand ourselves and we learn about connection and interconnection and interdependence. And ultimately, we come to understand this great web of life of which we are a part. And we tw- may we take our sense of right relationship with ourselves from this place in the web And from that, right relationship with others, right relationship with our environment, and right relationship with the invisible world. And let us draw this earth energy up, nourishing our belly and our heart, nourishing our heart and our mind. And finally, rising up with this crystal clear energy, rising up through the sky in whatever weather it holds for you today, up and out through the atmosphere and out into the cosmos and all the way up to the highest power of the universe and by whatever name you know this energy in whatever way you conceive of it connect with it in that way know yourself in it and it in you and begin to draw this energy down drawing into yourself drawing into this day drawing into these proceedings the energy of blessing the energy of protection and generosity and commitment we call in all the wisdom of the cosmos call in the benevolence of this existence here we call these energies in that we might be inspired and the way be illuminated we call in the beneficence of this great universe we draw these energies into ourself and into our day we ask them to illuminate our mind and our heart and our belly as we draw this golden energy from above and send it all the way down to the center of the earth and in this way we the humans become one of the places that the energy from above and below can come together, the great merging of these two great legendary lovers, the beginning, the beginning dreamers of this great dream. And we call this energy in and we ask that the big love that these two generate awaken the spirit of our own heart and that that crucible of transformation that lives only in the heart, may it open up and call up the fiery passions of the belly that carry within them the knowing of why you are here. And we draw down the crystal clarity of the mind that we can come to understand what that is. We let these two energies mix and merge and dance here in the heart until they can give birth to a third and most sacred thing, which, are, which is our memory, our remembering of why we are here a sense of what matters, what is inspiring. And may you find in your heart courage to do something in this day, large or small, to bring that thing that inspires you, to bring that gift that is yours to give to the world, something large or small to bring those things into the world in true manifestation. And I give great gratitude to all the helping spirits around all of us that help us to do that in every day. May what needs to be said be said here today and what needs to be heard be heard and may these proceedings go forward in a way that is good for all living things. I want to give great gratitude to Harika, to Maria, Shane, Natty, David, Elise and all of the listeners who have donated financially to the show. If you're listening to the first time, uh, for the first time, Why Shamanism Now is listener supported. Um, There are bills to pay to keep the show available and free um, to anyone who is able to access the internet. They're at co-creatornetwork.com, on iTunes, and at whyshamanismnow.com. So they're available to anyone. And I give thanks to those of you who are able to donate financially so that we can keep that true. And it is uh, because of your donations and you're free to donate any amount, large or small. All of this goes to keeping the show on the air. And I'm grateful for that. And if you can't donate to the show, understand that there are many ways that energy can be exchanged. So if this show moves you in any way, whether it moves you into frustration or inspiration, It doesn't really matter because the point is you have been moved in the heart. And I ask you to do this most essential of shamanic things, which is to allow that which moves your heart to motivate your action in the world. This is the very essence of shamanism around the earth. And I ask you to let yourself be moved in some way to help the show to grow, 
to um, bring the teachings into your journey circles, into your own journey work, to challenge them, to wrestle with them, to see what questions arise as you use them, share those questions, share show ideas, share the shows themselves through all that wonderful interconnectivity of our um, media these days, and just to do whatever you can in whatever way, large or small, to help the show to continue to be relevant to yourself and others here in this big human family on this very beautiful but small planet. So thank you all for all that you are doing. If you don't know how to donate and want to, you can go to whyshamanismnow.com. Not only are the archives there, um, you can search for different shows there, and you can also go to the support button and donate any amount, large or small. Um, it all goes to keeping the show on the air. And if you're uncomfortable doing that via the Internet, you can just email me at christina at lastmaskcenter.org, and I would be happy to send you a regular address um, for a regular old check. So we are live today, and if you have any questions about today's topic, which is how to receive shamanic healing, um, a couple months ago, we did a show about um, ethics in offering shamanic healing and practicing shamanic healing. Today, I want to talk about the ethics in receiving shamanic healing. I didn't really have time to do that a couple months ago. So if you have t- um, questions about that topic, you're welcome to call in at 512-772-1938. You can Skype in from the co-creatornetwork.com site or just email me at christina at lastmaskcenter.org. And I will either uh, read your question on the air or simply um, maybe your question is significant enough that it'll turn into another show. You never know. So today, the question really is, so what are the ethics for receiving shamanic healing? A lot of people don't really think about this very much. There's so much written about the ethics of for practitioners and there should be there's nothing wrong with that today i want to explore though what can be a very prickly issue which is the issue of ethics for receiving shamanic healing you know is it really ethical to arrive with expectations for magical cures and effortless life changes one of the first bylines i ever learned in my own sort of frustration of beginning to work with people as a practitioner was that people want their lives to change without having to change. And that is simply impossible. And yet it is the most common and I consider somewhat unethical way to arrive at any practitioner's door, which is wanting your life to change without being willing to change yourself. It doesn't work that way for any of us ever. So, What are the ethics then for shamanic healing? How can we as contemporary people come to these ancient healing forms in a way that we're prepared and we're informed and we're ready to do what is needed to do to follow up responsibly? Now, I don't think um, what I'm saying here today is necessarily unique to shamanic healing. It probably applies to anybody you might go to for assistance. Um, But I can only speak to this because this is all that I do. Um, So the ethics really for receiving shamanic healing should really be compatible with the ethics of offering it. In other words, the ethics around giving and receiving shamanic healing really come out of the world of shamanism, how looking at the world through that lens. And uh, in saying that, I'm not saying that it is the one true lens. (laughs) I'm just saying that if you're asking for shamanic healing, that's the lens you're choosing to look at your healing situation at that time, right? And so if that's the lens you're choosing to look through, you know, versus some other form of healing, you need to look at your integrity of showing up for that session through that same lens and that that will be more compatible. Um, So when we ask for shamanic healing, we're asking for a very ancient form of healing, which is not necessarily directly translatable or compatible with, um, for example, a contemporary American belief system. Um, Because the ethics of shamanism all around the world, the ethics of all the different shamanic people come from their first shaman. So in, in, in th- around the world, there are stories of the first shaman. You know, there are origin stories that are at the heart of the cosmology of the people. And somewhere along the line, once we start getting to that place where there's a little bit um, 
uh, of overlap between what we generally call gods and, and, and humans on the planet, there start being stories about the first shaman. And the first shaman is always someone of divine origins who is not really entirely human. So white buffalo calf woman is an example of these stories that you might be familiar with um, for North America, First Peoples. Um, so anyway, not all of them, but she is a, is a story that is shared wild, widely as a story of a first shaman. And in, and in, the, in the more original versions of the story, she shapeshifts. She's sometimes a woman and sometimes a man. And so this kind of shape-shifting thing is very common about the first shaman. And if you want to know more about that, just go to whyshamanismnow.com and Google first shaman and the show about the first shaman will, will come up. And I, I um, also teach a class about it somewhat irregularly, but I do about how can we as contemporary people practicing connect back to the true first shaman in, our, in whatever lineage we practice, especially if we don't actually know what lineage we're practicing. But anyway, I'm getting distracted. So the first shaman. So the first shaman, um, again, was divine, uh, of divine origins, not really entirely human. And the first shaman brings with them the knowledge and the skills uh, for humans to live well. It brings them across this sort of broken bridge between um, the human world manifest in form and the spirit world not exactly manifest in form. And um, there are many stories of Quetzalcoatl, all these different first shamans bringing the information to the people about how to live well in their environment and, what, and bringing the first plants, bringing it with Quetzalcoatl, it's bringing um, the plant medicines as well, you know, whatever it is that the people need to live. That's what comes with the first shaman. And so with that then comes the teachings for survival in all aspects of daily life, both ordinary and non-ordinary. And so the first shaman is bringing the teachings of how to live in good relationship with oneself, with each other, with the ancestors, with all the beings of the spirit world, with the physical world, and that overlap between physical world and spiritual beings and so the cultures and traditions and civilizations were built then on the knowledge that's brought by the first shaman and so essentially the ethics of life morals and ethics of life are coming out of these teachings of the first shaman and thus the first shaman taught us then how to give and receive shamanic healing Right, so when we look at the ancient practice of shamanism, ethics are explained in this way. Are you manipulating a person, place, or thing to do what it would not normally do? Or are you supporting this person, place, or thing in being in alignment with his or her own true nature or right placement? And so if you are assisting the person, place, or thing in realigning his or, her, his or her own nature or right placement, then you are working in the ethic, the ethics of, of shamanic healing. If you're asking to manipulate the outcome, you're not. And so one of the primary things to understand with shamanic healing is if you arrive as the person to receive shamanic healing, trying to manipulate the outcome, then, then you're in an unethical position from a shamanic perspective. And this is probably the hardest thing for contemporary people to understand because most of us come out of addictive codependent relationships in our family of origin, which are by their very nature manipulative one way or another, passively or aggressively. And, um, so it, 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 it is a challenge actually for us to show up for any healing session and be willing to trust the process and not try to manipulate the outcome. So these are the ways that I would describe now. I mean, I wouldn't have described it this way 20 years ago um, when I was practicing. You know, I was well into my practice, but I was still new in my practice. I wouldn't have described it this way, but now um, it has a lot to do with people and their attachment to their story of why they're there asking for healing. Right? 
So, so that's the most common way that I experience contemporary people coming for shamanic healing and unknowingly endeavoring to manipulate the outcome. So the first example would be someone, for example, who suffered some kind of loss and, and has never been the same sense that experience and then they come across information about soul loss and soul retrieval and they 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 resonate with that and are also excited about the idea of how simply given shamanic methods a, a lost soul part can be retrieved and so then they decide that that's their problem. So it's a sort of a self-diagnosis. So in their story now, they have their story of whatever this trauma was. And in their story, now it's a story about soul loss. And so now they've decided what they need is soul retrieval to fix that problem. And it's very likely there is some soul loss and some retrieval that would be part of fixing the problem. But what I experience sometimes is that that it's more complex than that, that soul loss is only a part of the problem and that the person is actually uninterested in the soul parts that need to come back because they're more humble than the big dramatic change that they're looking for. So, for example, let's say someone unknowingly, innocently accepts a very deceptive possession. So this possessing spirit offers enlightenment, the experience of enlightenment to the person without actually being clear about what the person is offering in exchange. And so if then that person who is possessed by this enlightening spirit who's really a possessing spirit is just being it's a great deception to to give us what we think we want is the fundamental great deception whatever that is right so person's given this experience of enlightenment by this possessing entity entity jumps ship jumps to another person it's very easy for that person to say that was my enlightenment because they're unaware they were possessed that was my enlightenment I want my enlightenment back but but the reality of enlightenment that you have actually earned through becoming enlightened <laughs> is that no one can take it from you so the very fact that the enlightenment suddenly disappeared and the and the person's life went to hell in a handbasket you know shows what the person was actually paying for the experience of enlightenment with the possessing spirit but in their mind they've decided the story is soul loss and they want their soul part back and the only soul part they want back is the soul part that's going to bring them back their enlightenment right so so you can see that there's this trap in this sort of self-diagnosing that every loss is soul loss and that every traumatic event can be resolved through soul retrieval and it can't but people can get really attached to that story and and for me the sign that there's this attachment to that kind of self-diagnosed story is the the lack of interest in actual soul parts that are ready and willing to come back they're just really uninterested in other soul parts um and there's you know nothing that can be said or done because they've decided about their story so that's one way that a person really gets stuck in manipulating the outcome. And that is an unethical way to approach a shamanic healer who, by the very nature of shamanic healing, must do what they are guided to do by spirit. That is the, nat the fundamental nature of shamanic healing, right? So you just can't um, – so – the next one would be uh, the attachment to story that I see where someone who has been living in a state of soul loss for, let's say, 30 years, right, suddenly comes upon information about soul loss and soul retrieval, which is great. There's nothing wrong with that, except some people, when they touch that information in their mind and come to recognize their um, – engagement there with it their the reality of that for them is that they then sort of trigger the i don't mean trigger in a bad way i just mean it 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 
it agitates the very issues and energies that are related to the soul loss they have experienced. And so all of a sudden their shit comes up. (laughs) And there's nothing wrong with that, especially if the person is going to then pursue the retrieval of the parts and the ongoing integration that comes from that. The problem occurs when the person starts to feel the emotions and the issues moving now that they're moving towards an actual healing solution that the person now is having a shamanic crisis that is absolutely urgent these soul parts have to be brought back today when are you going to do my soul retrieval when are you going to do my soul retrieval why can't i get in now i know you're already booked up but why can't you see me now i mean does this sudden urgency and the truth is the soul parts have been gone for 30 years it's not going to kill you to wait a month it is not a shamanic emergency <laughs> so, but that's another place where a person is 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 coming at the boundaries a practitioner is trying to keep in place to be able to do good work. And every practitioner has different boundaries. Some people can do a ton of work a day. Other people can't. Every practitioner's job is to figure out how to maintain good boundaries themselves so that they can do good work for everybody who shows up. And one of the ways that we have to do that these days, because we're not living in shamanic communities, one of the ways we do that is by scheduling appointments and, and saying, no, I can't work on Sundays. It's my one day off and not allowing ourselves to be drugged into false shamanic crises. There, there can be true shamanic crises and there's every reason in the world to respond to those. But someone simply suddenly realizing that they're in a state of soul loss after decades of just not knowing it is not a shamanic crisis. It's time to go get your soul retrievals, right? But it's not a crisis and you need to respect your practitioner's boundaries and be patient. Ask for something that you can do and tell your session time and go do that and just relax. It's not a crisis just because you finally found out it's real. <laughs> so the other attachment that happens to story, it happens with people who know sort of just enough about shamanic healing to be um, very committed to their self-diagnosis but not enough commitment to shamanism and shamanic work to journey themselves with their helping spirits to understand if their mental idea about what is going on is actually accurate in the energetic world and this in some ways is the most challenging situation because in this case, a person's understanding about shamanism is actually working against them. Now, normally, a client coming with an understanding about shamanism is a great relief. There's all this stuff I don't have to talk about. I can connect with them um, without having to do a whole lot of blah, blah, blah about shamanism. They're already on that page. We can just talk about what, what work are we focusing on and get at it. Right, But in the case where someone has, has already in their mind used their understanding of shamanism to diagnose what their problem is and what needs to happen to fix it and they're coming to you just to do the legwork, that is a very serious problem because um, again, a shamanic healer has to listen to their own helping spirits and their own way of understanding what is going on and their own sense in working with their helping spirits of what are their priorities, what needs to happen first. And this is almost never in alignment, in concurrence with a person who's mentally decided through their understanding of shamanic issues what their problem is. It's not such a problem if a person has actually done some journeying and has some sense through their own shamanic work, their own shamanic practice, that they've just tapped into something they can't handle themselves. And this is this is sort of the groundwork that they've done shamanically and they bring it to you as a practitioner. That's a lovely situation, especially when they're open to a reinterpretation or an additional interpretation of what is going on. That's a perfectly um, – there's, there's good integrity in that. The lack of integrity is when a person comes – pre-diagnosed in their head about what's going on shamanically and absolutely refusing to be open to 
the practitioner's interpretation of what is going on, which may be more specific, it may be bigger, it may be completely um, off in a whole different direction because one of the things, and I say this raising my hand because I try to look at this in myself all the time as well, is I have an enormous appreciation for how easily and continually we trick ourselves away from precisely what we need to be doing, myself included. And so this kind of person who comes in with this mental idea of what they need shamanically is almost always caught up in their false self. And it's a very, very hard sort of story to break through uh, as a practitioner. And that actually is one of the most common reasons. I rarely send somebody away, but that is probably the most common reason that I do. I mean, maybe only a couple people in a year, but that's it. It's like the person is not open and is unwilling to let me work. And I, you know, what can I do? What can any shamanic practitioner do but listen to their own helping spirits and work from that place of understanding? It's all we have. It's all we have to offer. You know, as a shamanic healer, there is no shamanism without the helping spirits. So I personally, Christina, the woman, I have nothing to offer other than um, commiseration <laughs> around the trials and tribulations of being a human who has received shamanic healing and how we work with that in our life. That I can help you with because I'm a human experiencing that same thing. But in terms of healing, a shamanic healer has nothing to offer you if you will not allow their spirit's guidance. So it's a very tricky thing, right? It's a big, tricky thing. So one of the first things about your own integrity in going for shamanic healing is checking out the shamanic healer you're going to and making sure that you can trust them and their helping spirits. And if you feel that you can't, ending the session and bowing out gracefully. Because it's it's there is no shamanism without the helping spirits. You have to accept that. So the ethics really around shamanic healing force us to look at this bigger picture of human life, particularly the parts we don't want to see. And the fact that we are not in control, that we really don't know what the hand of spirit is in another person's life or our own sometimes. And the possibility that, that what the person really needs is that which they least want or that which they're least prepared to give. And this is the great challenge of dealing with the perspective of spirit in our lives, is it is not necessarily an easy mouthful to swallow. Sometimes it's very challenging and it's not what we want to hear. Um, but the integrity in shamanic practice is all about working with your helping spirits to align with all of life. And this includes right relationship with death. And it includes an expression of your true nature. So it includes being told some hard things like the reason you're experiencing problems A, B, C, and D is that while you have a great deal of passion for the work that you're doing in your life, it's not really aligned with your true purpose. And you're going far afield from what your soul has really come here to do. And so you're creating an inner rebellion and problems A, B, C, and D are what you're experiencing because of that. You know, and most people don't want to hear that, right? So that's the tricky thing with receiving shamanic healing. So real integrity in being willing to receive shamanic healing is about allowing the shaman to work with his or her helping spirits on your behalf, and uh, so what's critically important, first off, is that you consider your approach. Do your research. Find a practitioner that you resonate with based on how they talk about what they do. Now, I hesitate to say this because I don't want a flood of first contact phone calls, but I always offer that possibility to people if they have a lot of questions and even after they've read everything that's out there or listened to some Why Shamanism Now shows about shamanic healing, you know, there's about a gajillion in the archives, you know, after they've listened to all that, if they still have questions, I am happy to talk with people, you know, first contact call for people just trying to check out what it is that they want, right? I don't charge. It's just I'm happy to answer those questions, 
that someone might need to ask in their effort to be responsible to find the right shamanic practitioner for them. And I'm pretty sure there's actually a show in the Why Shamanism Now archives about finding the right practitioner. So go search for that show and and listen to it, right? So what you're listening for is how do they describe the way they think about their work? Shamans aren't created equal. People think about it very differently and and people have very different training. So they're coming from different cosmologies. They they have a um, very there's a great range of different ways of thinking about shamanic healing. And so ask around, talk to a bunch of different people, find someone who seems to resonate with you. You know, do can they talk about their initiate initiatory experience? How do they talk about their training? You know, does that resonate with you? Um, not every shamanic practitioner will disclose to you the details of their initiation, but they can talk about being initiated, right? What is the way uh, that they ask for exchange for their services? Do they ask for an unreasonable amount for the amount of time that they are going to work with you? Um, or do they ask for nothing? I mean, either of those extremes is dubious, right? You don't necessarily want to work with someone who offers their services for free in this day and age in this particular time because we live in a time when we need to be repairing our understanding of how energy is exchanged so people that want nothing for their work there might be a problem there a blind spot people that want too much for their work there's definitely a problem there in a blind spot so how do they talk about the exchange of energy for their work and um, how do they understand you, your role, in particular, your need to follow up with the work? I mean, do they really present themselves to someone who's just going to do a m- miracle healing for you and you just go on and live happily ever after and don't have to do anything? Or do they talk about supporting you with follow-up? So so these are the, that's kind of the basics, really, in, in the very beginning here of finding an appropriate shamanic healer. So another thing to think about with this is to understand then it's really not ethical to arrive at the door of any practitioner and dump all the issues of your life in the healer's lap and ask if they can sort of fix all that in one session. It's just unreasonable. And, and, and I know you're listening to me say that and you're saying, well, of course, Christina, that makes total sense. But it happens all the time. So think before your session. What are the core issues in my life? How are you interpreting that right now? What are the core issues at this time? And even if they don't make sense to you, just be prepared to share what, what is really going on right now that has, has inspired you to ask for a shamanic healing session. Let the shaman ask for whatever else they feel they do or don't need to know. But don't go in there expecting to tell the entire laundry list of your life. Be focused about what is true for you right now. What do you need in your life right now? Shamanism is moved by your need. So what do you need? Even if you say something that doesn't make sense to you, like... I just don't feel whole. I have everything I ever imagined I wanted in my life when I was a young woman, but I don't feel whole. I don't understand that. That's perfectly fine. And that from a shamanic perspective is really clear. And most shamanic practitioners don't need any more than that to start with. Actually, most shamanic practitioners actually don't need anything to start with. But what we do need to know is what do you know about your life? Right? And so a shamanic practitioner may ask um, to know kind of what you know, the basic rundown of your life. So if someone's told me nothing about the fact that they were verbally abused their entire life by their mother, let's say, if, they're not, if they don't tell me that at all, then I'm going to be very careful in the way that I talk about 
the soul parts that are coming back or what, whatever that is. Because as far as I know, this person doesn't understand that their mother was abusive. And so I'm going to let the soul parts help that person understand through their integration in a way that's organically correct for that person. I'm just not going to blurt out, your mom was a narcissistic bitch and she abused you all the time. I'm not going to say something like that. But if I know the person already knows that, I'm still not going to say she's a narcissistic bitch and abused you all the time because that would just be inappropriate to say. But I'm going to talk about the dynamics that I'm seeing in the journey space in much greater detail if I know the person already has context in their own life for that detail. And so while some people want to test the shaman by not quality of most contemporary people is there so much that's not right shamanically in your life that it's not a good test. From a scientific perspective of running a good test, too many variables. Most people have so many problems going on on a soul loss, soul retrieval level, on an energy level, on how you're engaged with your soul's purpose level, on intrusive energies going on, on problems in the way you're thinking about your life. All of this is going on in a first session. And so if you go in and you think you're going to be so smart and you're going to test the shaman by telling them nothing and having them just do the session, but in your mind you know what you think you want you know what you think needs to happen it's not a good test it's a waste of everybody's time if you know what you want dealt with bring it up and the shaman can focus the questions in that area or the shaman will ask spirit and then see if we can lean in that direction or if not get an answer from spirit why that's not the priority today and that kind of information is valuable. But to think you're running some kind of tricky test by not telling them anything in today's world, given how messed up contemporary people are from a shamanic perspective, it's a waste of everybody's time. And so it's profoundly unethical to do that to a practitioner and then call back the next day and say, you didn't do what I wanted you to do. I want my money back. That's really unethical on the receiver's part because – as long as someone can coalesce their need for things to change in their life, I could certainly do, and, and anybody else, could do a shamanic healing session on them and bring back valuable work that is going to begin to change their life. It may or may not have anything to do with what they want to work on right now. And maybe that's you know, not a big deal to them. But for people that it is, that they want clarity around a particular thing, you need to bring that up. You need to be honest. And so what I would say in shamanic healing is while you would expect your practitioner to be honest with you, you need to be honest as well. I would much rather have someone say to me, I'm, I'm really suspect about shamanic healing. So there's some things I don't want to tell you. I really want to see what comes up. And I can say, great, I get that. That's perfectly valid. There's some things I need to know to be able to do this safely. I will ask those questions and you let me know whether you can answer them. And then I understand what's going on. I don't mind at all going into a session blind. In fact, that would actually be my dream date. We <laughs> have people who are just willing to let me work. right? But most people honestly aren't. And most people that come in and say... I'm willing to let spirit do whatever needs to happen are actually doing it from a very passive place. And the truth is they have a very clear and strong need and they really want their needs met. And you need to express that honestly and be open then to how spirit is choosing then to prioritize things and meet that need. So it's also important to expect that there will be an energetic exchange for the practitioner's time. And your task is to be clear about that before you arrive. Discussing payment when a person is shifted into practitioner mode is um, it's not that it doesn't have integrity. But if you understood shamanism and how it works, you would understand that it doesn't have integrity. I mean, it, it, and this is one of those places where a shamanic awareness and a contemporary person awareness don't dovetail at all 
when a person is in, for most people, when they are in shamanic practitioner mode in that headspace, even typing an email is nearly impossible. Like doing the small technological tasks that I have to do to give people a copy of their recording of their session is nearly impossible when I'm in session with people where I can do those tasks easily without thinking about it on a normal day when I'm doing phone sessions and answering emails, right? Because it's a very, very different headspace. So to suddenly yank a practitioner out of this space they've worked hard to get themselves into to do work on you by now talking about money when you could have been clear about that beforehand and you should be clear about that beforehand and organize what it is that you are bringing um, in exchange for your session before you arrive. Be comfortable with what you're doing. Be clear about what you're doing. And the last thing you should ever do is go into a whiny victim conversation about why you couldn't do more. Because the truth of the matter is most shamanic practitioners are struggling as well. Being a shamanic practitioner in America, for example, is not an easy road. And most, most shamanic practitioners are struggling to pay their bills too. So listening to you talk about why you can't bring more for their session is not a beneficial conversation. What you need to do is be clear about what you can do, be honest about what you can do, and just do it. Do it cleanly. And that's what everybody needs is just be clean about it. I don't really care how people do what they're going to do as long as they're honest about it, they do what they say, and they're clean about it. That's how I look at it. And the important thing around understanding there needs to be an energetic exchange. And this is the thing the South American shamans taught me very clearly. It's a, there's a different understanding in North America, and I'm going to talk about that in just a minute. But what I loved about South America is there is an understanding about Aini about the flow of energy and about recognizing how the shaman isn't just fixing somebody and putting them back to some perfect place they were before that just got broken for a minute. That it's about a constantly evolving, moving, interrelated relationship of energies and everybody's participating in it. The individual, the community, the shaman, the ancestors, the descendants, everything. And that our understanding of whatever it is that we're offering for the healing that's coming to us is part of keeping all that energy moving. So in North America, the issue that arose, which is always an issue, not just in shamanism, in any arena, is people that get rich off other people's suffering. Whether we're talking about capitalism and people getting rich off not paying their workers enough, or we're talking about people that are selling, you know, fake medicinals that aren't going to do anything. There, I mean, there's frauds in every arena. And so the, the taboos against receiving payment, particularly financial money payment, for effectively shamanic healing in North America come out of taboos around getting rich around your work. But you also have to understand the larger fabric of the different peoples of North America. I mean, they had ceremonies like potlatch here in the Pacific Northwest where certain people would become very, quote unquote, wealthy by the end of the year because of the work that they did for the people. And so at the end of the year in the potlatch ceremony, all of it's given back or a lot of it is given back to, to start circulating back in the energy. And so if you look traditionally about how the work was done across North America, you see there was always an exchange of energy of some kind. Nobody was expected to work for free. They were fed. They were given new blanket for their horse. Their horse was cared for. You know, whatever it was, energy was exchanged. And that's what you need to expect and understand and be upfront about and clear about with shamanic healing today. So the truth is, yes, a single shamanic healing session can noticeably change your life. It happens all the time. And not just mine, everybody's. It does. It can change your life. And not every shamanic healing session will noticeably change your life. 
because sometimes several sessions are building a foundation for another big change. And so one, I've met some people that said, well, I had a soul retrieval as, as if all anybody ever needs is one soul retrieval. And that's a mistake. That soul retrieval can change your life, but that doesn't mean that's all the soul parts that are out there, right? That's one thing. But the other thing is recognizing good shamanic work is not always signified by a profound shift in your life. That sometimes there's a subtle but pervasive change and then another subtle but pervasive change and then another thing that is allowed to happen and then all of a sudden you realize, wow, there has been a huge change in my life. But it happened over many, many months with many different things happening. And so it's just important to understand that, that it is really unethical to turn around and demand your money back for a session because you weren't changed in 24 hours. It does happen, <laughs> shamanic healing, but not always. And, and it isn't necessarily a sign that that's all the session is going to bring because shamanic healing unfolds over time. Some sessions unfold over years. And so it's very important to not think just because your perspective hasn't been changed in 24 to 48 hours that nothing's happened. So basic taboos that you would always bring to any practitioners in anything are one about money as I was just saying and also about sex. So it's important to understand there needs to be an exchange of energy. You need to be clear about the money. Money is just another form of energy so it in and of itself doesn't necessarily turn everything bad but the point is to be clear and to understand that people on either ends of the extremes either charging way too much or nothing at all, you need to look at that carefully, what's really going on there. Maybe it's fine, but it's, it's a red flag and you need to look at it because you should expect there to be a responsible exchange of energy of some kind. Okay, sex, right. Okay, do not fall into a culture gap when you are working with shamanic practitioners that are from a different culture. That uh, there are many uh, different cultures treat nudity and touching differently than particularly Americans do, for example. Americans can be a little bit neurotic about that. So, for example, if you go to Ecuador and you're working with shamans there, you will likely be asked to stand in the center of the room with everybody watching in your underwear. That's normal. So if you're going to get freaked out about that, don't step up for a healing because that's normal in that and that uh, practice, right? So know that. Know what is actually normal, but don't get caught in a culture gap of an unethical practitioner using the fact that you don't speak the language and you don't understand their culture to convince you that something that is seriously inappropriate is part of the healing. Okay, so that you need to really educate yourself and particularly if you're going to be working with a shaman that doesn't speak your language have somebody who can translate there translating what's going on so you actually understand because the other side of this is let's imagine not that I want to imagine you having breast cancer for example but if you do you know have tumorous growths in your breasts and you go to a shamanic practitioner who regularly practices sucking shamanism for example they may suck on your breast to suck those tumors out and you need to know that going in there's nothing inappropriate in that if you're showing up with breast cancer and they're a sucking shaman you know so you need to educate yourself and understand that that the somewhat precious and perhaps prissy rules extreme rules in America around ethics around touching and nudity and things like that don't necessarily translate well across the culture divide and into shamanism and at the same time don't let unethical people use that as an excuse um, to do things that are not healing and are clearly inappropriate. So you need to educate yourself. You need to ask for there to be a translator. You need to pay attention to your own um, inner experience and recognize, again, you know, if you're bringing a private body part into a healing session that's cancerous and you're with a sucking 
shaman or a shaman that's going to do something hands-on because you're asking for help with your cancer, it's going to be hands-on. So decide whether or not you're okay with that. And if you're not, maybe you need to not ask that practitioner for healing. So because the thing is, different shamanic cultures each have their own technology for healing. And if you are uncomfortable with how that technology works, it is completely out of integrity for you to expect that practitioner to work differently because you're uncomfortable. If you are uncomfortable, for example, with sucking shamanism, then you need to not ask for healing from that practitioner. It's that really that simple because each culture each shamanic culture has its own technology. That's how they see the problem and how they then approach resolving the problem. And it's not your place to say that's inappropriate. If if it feels inappropriate to you, then don't ask for the healing. It's really that simple. Okay, so we're kind of running out of time here. So a couple other things I guess I'll say here in the end end of the show is that you need to respect the process a shamanic practitioner is leading you through. That the shortest path in a – the sort of shamanic path to your healing may not be the most direct path. You know, it's not always a straight line. That – so for example, I've often experienced people who just really want to deal with their incest abuse from childhood. They really want to be over that so they can get on and have healthy sexual relationships as an adult in their life. And I'm not saying that's always the situation for everybody. I'm just saying this is a common issue that's brought to shamanic practitioners. The helping spirits see us in a bigger picture and they may see that other issues need to be addressed so that you are able to fully integrate soul parts that carry some deep, deep wounding in your life. And you need to trust that. If you're going to enter into shamanic healing, you need to trust the priorities that the shaman, the spirits set and allow them to guide you along that path that the spirits are laying out for you. Now, my caveat here is... I have also heard of certain practitioners that the practitioner sets certain steps on the path that mean you need to take classes from them or you can't journey to your own helping spirit until XYZ happens. Things like that are questionable. The the practitioner may have a valid reason for it, but you should question that to find out what that reason really is and make sure it sits right with you. But the helping spirits are another issue. If they're leading you down a path that is not the direct path that you wanted, it, you should trust it and let and, and really ask the shaman to help you understand it and move along it. As I said before, do not ask for everything in one session. It is traditional in shamanic healing all around the globe to take things essentially in layers to approach a problem with the simplest solutions first and to see how much the person can integrate that and move forward and to not just throw the most dramatic thing at every single problem at every single turn. And so it's important um, to not expect to get everything to change in one session. That's not how traditional shamanism works. It's not how they understand the problems. So it's not your job to know what you need. It's your job to have a need. And so one of the things that is enormously unethical to do as a someone receiving shamanic healing is to show up just because you're curious. That is a waste of the shaman's time. There are people out there that need help. And you are filling a session when a person could when the shaman could be helping someone who's really ready for shamanic healing and you're just there as a joyride. Shamanism moves through need. And if you don't have a strong need, there's really not much the shamanic practitioner can do for you. Doesn't mean that you don't actually need a whole lot of help, but unless you're ready to engage with that need, it really can't be done ethically for you. And so to fill a shaman's time with a joyride is profoundly unethical. Okay, so 
what is ethical? So very quickly, I'll just say, if you don't believe in shamanism, but for some reason you're going to a shamanic healer, and I've been in that situation before, um, often a divorce is hanging on whether or not the person is going to go get some shamanic help, it's fine. You don't have to believe in shamanism. The shaman does. That's all that matters. What you need to do is trust the shaman, receive the healing, and do what you're told to do to follow up. And if you just do the basics, see what happens. Your belief is not important. Your willingness to act as if, play along, do what you're asked to do is. So let's say you do believe in shamanism, but you don't have any skills. So what's important for you to do is find a practitioner that you trust and follow their guidance. And do, um, do they, if they give you things to do that you feel you don't have the skills to do, ask for a version that you can do. The Helping Spirits can always give you, I mean it's a little bit dumbed down version, but that's okay because what's important is it's a version you can do. Right? And then finally, if you're someone that's with skills and you do believe in shamanism, then just be sure that you're using those skills in a way that's supporting the process, not controlling or manipulating the process. And I, I love working with people that have skills, but I also love working with people that don't have a clue <laughs> because both of those people, kinds of people can be really open to what the spirits can offer us through shamanic healing when the practitioner has good integrity and the person receiving the shamanic healing has good integrity magic can really happen so i want to give great gratitude to the ancestral helping spirits that help us to keep this information in our lives i give thanks to the energy of the earth below and the sky above and the heart that unites us all thank you everyone for joining me this week